Good morning, church family. Uh, how many people feel uh, like they are ready for the Christmas season? Couple? What does even being ready for Christmas season mean anyways, right? That's kind of a weird way to talk about it. But uh, I asked that question only to bring attention that today is the first day of Advent, okay? Obviously, uh, we have decorated. We're starting uh, with our Advent readings. And um, I'm just going to say this. It is good to be with you all on this first day of Advent. We are excited for the season that we are embarking into. And uh, I'm hopeful that the message this morning kind of prepares us for this coming month and what this coming month can be for us as followers of Jesus. Uh, before I begin, there is something that we also need to do, and that is to officially welcome back Russ Davis. He is in the back. <clears throat> Currently... Russ came back from uh, sabbatical after being gone for three months this fall, had a phenomenal time of rest and uh, kind of recharging in that way, great time with family, good time of study, uh, and just kind of some spiritual searching, so we're incredibly excited to have him back. Um, just so we all know, as he welcomes back, it's going to be kind of like a, 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 a slower entry back in, so if you don't know Russ then I'll give you this little insight. He's the kind of guy that uh, is pulling like 50 and 60 hour weeks trying to care for this community. And so one of the things that our staff and our elders have uh, encouraged him on is as you step back into a vocational rhythm, that's probably not sustainable, that type of hours, uh, that type of uh, management of this place. And so we've encouraged him to say, take December, and kind of work your way back into some really good, healthy rhythms and patterns. And so as a community, I would say, let's as much as we can honor that, knowing that he'll actually be back up here and uh, able to teach next weekend. But the uh, ability for him to grab coffee right away and discuss his sabbatical and do all those types of things that normally he would step right into, me as a friend who gets to work alongside of him, I'm going to say, hey, maybe push some of those off until January if you can. And let's kind of work our way back into a more sustainable work rhythm. And uh, so as a community, I hope that we can honor that. But uh, next week he will be up here uh, and he's planning to share a little bit about his sabbatical and then also kind of continue on in our Advent series. Okay, so that's the first thing. Second thing, I just want to one more time thank all of the incredible voices that we heard from the fall. Okay, so part of what we did, knowing that Russ was going to be gone, is we invited a number of different people. I think we had maybe 10 different speakers or, or eight, uh, nine different speakers over the course of the fall come up and share with us to kind of uh, help with the teaching schedule. And I was incredibly encouraged. I don't know if you were, but I was incredibly encouraged by the diversity of voices and experiences and ways that people were able to be up here and speak boldly back into our community. So uh, for those individuals, some of them sitting here this morning, uh, maybe some will be listening to the podcast. Some actually aren't a part of our community and just stepped in for a weekend. But for those people, we are deeply, deeply thankful uh, for your willingness to step in and serve our community and speak to our community in powerful ways. Okay? Cool. Let's, let's begin this morning, right? Okay? Uh, so when we decided to study the Gospel of Mark, which uh, we kind of made this decision last, I guess it would be spring, uh, knowing that we would step into the fall, begin studying the Gospel of Mark, and then continue on through the winter and into the next spring, 
One of the realities that we faced, or one of the facts that we knew would become a reality, is that Mark does not contain a birth narrative. Okay? So Mark doesn't actually contain the Advent story, the Christmas story. Instead, he opens with John the baptizer preparing the way, and Jesus is a full-blown adult being baptized. Right? We jump right into Jesus' adult life. And we studied this, or we talked about this a little bit. Mark's concern was the ministry of Jesus and the universal call to discipleship. Mark, the author, did not consider the biographical information about Jesus as really needed information to help his reader understand and move toward relationship with Jesus. And so we are left with an Advent series missing Advent, right? We don't even have the Christmas story to study. But fear not, new community, because our intention is to continue in our study of Mark and try to work to connect our weekly messages as we travel through this book back to some of the themes, back to some of the realities of the incarnation and what we truly celebrate in this season. I will say specifically for this morning, we're not going to even get to Christmas or to Advent until about the last three minutes of this message. So hang on, it will get there, but it's going to take a little while to get there, all right? If you have your Bibles, let's uh, pull those out. If you use a phone, get that bad boy out, and uh, let's turn to Mark 6, the very beginning of Mark chapter 6. We're going to read 1 through 6, and I'm going to do something that uh, I, I grew up in a Methodist church. And so I'm going to invite you to do something that we did. We don't do this very often, but I'm going to invite you, if you're able and willing, to stand while we read the gospel. You can follow along, and I will read this this morning. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did, the man, where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that, he, that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense to him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could, do, uh, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Nice. You guys can sit. Now, if this passage doesn't scream Merry Christmas, then I don't know what other passage does, right? Okay, so let's, uh, let's break this down. Jesus is coming off of a stretch of some pretty miraculous stuff right before this in Mark 6. The calming of the storm, the encounter with the demoniac, the healing of Jairus' daughter, and the woman with the issue of bleeding. And he heads back to his home in Nazareth, Nazareth being a small, kind of forgotten town. It's not the center of anything in this region. It's just an unimportant little village that he called home. And he's heading back home. Heading back home can be filled with a lot of different emotions. Some of us may have even done this this weekend, right? You travel back home, 
you have uh, a holiday celebration with people, and sometimes that heading back home can be filled with great excitement, great anticipation. Sometimes it can be a little tenuous. I can remember the first time that I headed back home as what I felt like when I was an adult. It was after my first quarter of college. I went to school over in uh, Bellingham at Western, and as much <clears throat> as I desired to be away from home and kind of experience my own life, forge my own life, as I was getting towards this holiday, this Thanksgiving holiday after my first quarter, all of that anticipation started to build within me. For whatever reason, I was so excited to get back home. Not the way I felt when I left home, right? I was so excited to be away from home. Again, trying to uh, step into this new reality, this new life for me. But I reached this Thanksgiving break, this extended, you know, three, four, five day break, and I could not wait to get back home. I can remember I, uh, we couldn't leave until uh, I think it was maybe like Wednesday afternoon. I was driving with a friend. Uh, we were driving my car back home. My friend had a class that was late in the afternoon. My classes were done earlier in the afternoon. And so I literally packed my bags, all of his bags in my car. And I was just waiting there, car on, hesitating out in front of the dorm, waiting for him to walk out of his uh, last class. He walked right into the car and then we were on our way. I was so excited to get back home. I was excited to maybe sink back into this idea of, oh, I could be a kid again for a week, right? To have the comforts of the place that I grew up in, to shirk the responsibility that I had felt that I had been carrying now that I was an adult on my own. That was my first time really coming back into my own home environment. Now, maybe it feels different for you right? But I wonder if Jesus was excited to go back home. Maybe thinking he could grab a bit of R&R, right? Maybe he could sleep in a little bit. Maybe mom would make some delicious dinners, wait on him hand and foot because he's her very busy son. And news of him had traveled throughout the area. And I wonder if he was expecting to come home and be welcomed with open arms, handed the key to the city, right? Since this little-known, passed-over town and village had had a hand in shaping the Messiah that everyone in the area had been hoping for. And so upon coming back home on the Sabbath, Jesus decides to teach in the synagogue. And at first, the response seems pretty great. Scriptures say that the people were amazed, but quickly tenor changes. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles that he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense to him, the scripture says. Clearly, there is no rest for Jesus in his own hometown. No hero's welcome, no parade, and in fact, it was just the opposite. This small community did not brace, embrace their own. They were skeptical, they insulted, they hated. And so Jesus, realizing that he will not be welcomed home, speaks this truth about a prophet's honor in his hometown. And the story says that he could do 
No miracles there except heal a few sick. Now, this is not because he was sad about his hometown's response or that their offense had somehow limited his power. He chose not to perform the miraculous because Jesus is never about convincing people of something. He's not a salesman. He didn't do what he did to show off or make a case for God's existence. He healed out of kindness, out of mercy, out of love. The miracles of Jesus were connected to his character. They were born out of love and a compulsion for justice. But the hometown people didn't care to see these things. You see, because they knew Jesus. He was one of them. They knew he didn't have rabbinical training. They knew in the line of his family that he was nothing more than a laborer, that he was a builder, he was a carpenter. They knew the story about Mary and Joseph, and they knew that something was off about that birth. They knew their town, that it was small, unimportant, and they were disgusted that Jesus had become something and that they had not. They had made up their minds about Jesus as one of their own. You might say that their familiarity had bred contempt. They were angry that this guy got out, that he was the famous one, and that they were not. And so in the midst of their lack of faith, rather than push his way in, Jesus decides to focus his ministry and attention somewhere else. And so, here we are in Advent, looking at this somewhat disappointing and anticlimactic story of Jesus's ministry. As I first kind of figured out that Mark 6 was what I would be teaching on on this Sunday, I thought maybe it would be a timely message for many of us to talk about what is it like to go back home for the holidays. Some of us, again, were just there, or maybe some of us are anticipating going home over the upcoming Christmas holiday. Because, again, going back into our home environments can be strange. Sometimes we show up and we're different than how we were when we lived there. We can feel like we are aliens stepping back in, like strangers in a distant land, sometimes holding different values, maybe even different beliefs, maybe different practices. And so maybe we, as a community, needed a message about how, as faithful followers, can we step back into our families and communities and places of origin, healing the division by engaging in meaningful and kind and loving ways. But today is not that message, because today is about what familiarity can do to us. You see, when reading this story, I think it's really easy to center yourself as the figure, i.e. Jesus, coming back into his hometown, right? It's easy to place ourselves as the ones who have it right, who have arrived and now need to figure out how to relate with the family and the friends and the hometown that maybe holds different views. We read automatically thinking that we are the one that should be given the hero's welcome. And if we are not, then we count it as a cost of our discipleship. But what can this story tell us if we place ourselves as the hometown people? 
as the people stuck in our own mundane lives, hearing that our most famous and familiar resident is coming back. So the real question, I think, is what do we do with that which is familiar to us? With matters of faith, I'm not sure our first response is contempt, like we read in this story, but I think indifference might capture where some of us are at. And I would argue that indifference might be just as dangerous. You see, our indifferent familiarity is the oftentimes the birthplace of just going through the motions. And it happens in our work, it happens in our relationships, certainly happens in the church. And for me, it happened one time when I was nine in my backyard. So let me share you the story. I was an outdoor kid, loved playing in the outdoors. I wasn't really into video games. I'm not even sure the internet was uh, invented at this point. Certainly wasn't available. And so most of my time was spent exploring the few acres that my parents had out in North Spokane. I had multiple different forts set up in different areas. I knew how to climb every single tree on the property. I knew where every anthill was and had destroyed all of them. I knew where all of the best hills were and inclines that I would roll down or that I would uh, sled on in the winter. I spent a lot of time outdoors. It was where I felt kind of my most natural. So to say that I was familiar with the property is probably an understatement. And when I was little, my dad, who uh, is an uh, incredible handyman, can uh, do anything woodworking, he's just one of those guys. I didn't get that from him. I still call him whenever I do a house project. But uh, he was just one of those guys that could put stuff together. He built this cool little sandbox in our backyard, and he used massive railroad ties and railroad spikes to put this thing together. And I spent a lot of time when I was younger playing in this sandbox. So as I got older, obviously not in the sandbox as much, but my dad had uh, kind of built out this, uh, this area in our backyard that uh, would become, it was very kind of a hilly backyard and brought in a bunch of dirt and kind of made this level playing area because I was super into soccer. And so I uh, built this big level playing area. We actually called it the flat spot out in our backyard. <laughs> <clears throat> built the flat spot out there, but part of in that building, what had to happen was the sandbox got mostly taken over. And there was just this like little kind of corner left over. Because all this dirt had to come up that was, you know, kind of terraced and, and, and so forth, and uh, it was this unbelievable little area that I spent a lot of time on now, kind of in older elementary school, middle school, as soccer was, uh, I was pretty confident I was going to become a professional soccer player. So I spent a lot of time out there preparing for uh, what my life as a professional player might look like. One of the things that would happen is, inevitably, a soccer ball goes off the back end of this flat spot, and then it kind of cascades down this terrace, and then it's you know, way out in the property. And so you have to either walk all the way around, or you could jump down one, two steps down. Or what I figured out pretty often is that if you 
hit this exact right spot with a full head of steam and at the right angle, you could jump the entire terrace and land in this small little corner of the sandbox. Nice, soft sand landing. It was perfect, okay? But there was this exact angle that you kind of had to make in order to clear everything and land in the sand. Honestly, I became really good at it. It was something that I had practiced a thousand times. It was a a very familiar move for me. One day when uh, I had a good friend over, Nick, who coincidentally was the friend I tried to set on fire. If you're interested in that story, September 2021 is the message you would listen to. Nick was over. This was before I tried to set him on fire. We were playing soccer. Soccer ball goes over. Instinctually, I turn around and I make this jump. What happened was I did not hit the appropriate angle. I did not jump from the right spot of this terraced flat spot. And so when I landed, I landed left foot in the sandbox, right foot on one of the railroad ties. And right as I landed, I knew that something was wrong. It felt like I got a bee sting in my foot, but I couldn't figure out what had happened. It was that moment of, ah, that was different. Like, you know, you, you just kind of know something happened. And so I kind of hobbled up and around. And my foot, there was this weird sting in my foot. And I thought, well, I'll just take off my shoe and I'll kind of figure out what's going on. Totally calm, collected. Take my shoe off, my entire white sock is fully red at this point. What had happened is as I made that jump, again, off that angle just a little bit, I had landed on one of the corners or one of the uh, the areas of the railroad ties that came into the next railroad tie, and there was one of those railroad nails or spikes that were sticking out, and it went right through my shoe and directly in between my second and third toes. Second and third being the toes that stayed home and the one that got roast beef, if you were needing to understand where those are. And so I peel off this red, gross sock, spread those little toes apart, and you just see that gaping hole in between your toes. And I was no longer calm and collected at that point. Fully freaking out. Probably have to take the leg off at the hip is what I thought. It ends up not being that big of a deal. You get a tetanus shot and a few stitches. Everything is okay. But why I tell this story is because my familiarity with my own abilities and my surroundings led me to be incredibly careless, to lack respect for what I was doing. These things tend to happen when you start to simply go through the motions. Tripp says this, familiarity often does bad things to us. Often when we become familiar with things, we begin to take them for granted. When we are familiar with things, we tend to quit examining them. Often when we are familiar with things, we quit noticing them. When we are familiar with things, we tend not to celebrate them as we once did. Familiarity tends to rob us of wonder. Tripp is saying, when something becomes well-known, we run the risk of becoming 
indifferent to it. For us, in this moment, when holding to one's faith is of critical importance, I think some of us might need to be cautioned for taking for granted the richness and depth of our familiar, shared story and practice. Caution that maybe our collective faith has become an afterthought, a relic that helped shape parts of us, but no longer is transformative to our way of being. And one of the things I find uniquely interesting about new community is the most common thing we hear from people that love this place is that it's an open space, an open space that allows folks to wrestle with matters of faith. That long before answers are given, we tend to ask questions around here. That we are willing to live in moments and seasons of tension. That we invite rather than demand. That we have intentionally tried to take what has been known and see it in a new way. And that this type of environment allows for and creates opportunity for real growth. But at the same time, I can't help but notice that these held postures and lived church values also allows the ability to be passive, to be maybe a little bit lazy with how one might pursue their faith. That the very same soils to sustaining vibrancy and growth in some is also cultivating indifference in others. And so, here we are standing at the door of Advent, perhaps the most familiar aspect of our shared Christian story. Familiar because we know that the hotels were all full in Bethlehem, that we know it was only a stable that was open. We know about the star. We know about the shepherds and the angels. We even know the grittier side of the story, the escape from the regional genocide and this teenage crisis pregnancy. And because we know it so well, the respect and interest and awe that this story once sparked has been lost amidst our indifference. Our familiarity, not only with the Christmas story, but honestly with the parables, the miracles, and the teachings in the life of Jesus has become an incredible hurdle for us to overcome. A hurdle that can't be cleared by anybody only willing to go through the motions. The Christmas story is just another story until you avail yourself to wonder, mystery, and awe. If you give yourself to expectant waiting, if you dwell with the reality of Emmanuel, Christ with us, that he came to be with you and with me. I think maybe we have an opportunity this Advent for a different way forward. Because Advent is a potentially transformative time for us. Transformative in the reality that the God who enters our story is the same God who extends infinite opportunities to start over.
to return, to come back to Him. So what if it was different this year? What if we committed to each day of Advent celebrating that in Jesus' arrival, not only does He desire but extends to us the ability to experience hope and peace and joy and love. That we can, in fact, have a vibrant faith that maybe just, maybe, if we are willing to search, if we are willing to engage, we can once again find these things in this coming month. What if we gave ourselves anew to the story? Not just the elements of the story, but what it actually says about the God that we worship. To enter the world in the circumstances that he did. To experience life as we do. Simply because God wanted to be with us. That in the incarnation comes redemption. That our world has not been forgotten. But in fact, that the Holy Spirit is active and working. And that the kingdom of God is at hand. What if this Advent season, we spent a little bit more time thinking about how truly remarkable this truth is? and how it might change us. Advent is the beginning of our church calendar because it's a season of waiting. Waiting for what will be, expectant for what will come. It can be a time to ground yourself in the mysterious and unbelievable realities of God. My hope for this season in my life and in yours is that we can reclaim these parts of Christmas, that we can look at the Advent story with fresh eyes, trusting that it's a season to reset ourselves, casting our familiarity to the side and giving ourselves to wonder. Eugene Peterson says this, wonder is the only adequate launching pad for exploring this fullness, this wholeness of human life. Once a year, each Christmas, for a few days at least, we and millions of our neighbors turn aside from our preoccupations with life reduced to biology or economics or psychology and join together in a community of wonder. The wonder keeps us open-eyed, expectant, alive to life that is always more than we can account for, that always exceeds our calculations that is always beyond anything we can make. As I close, I'm going to invite up our worship team to lead us in one final song. My hope is during this final song, we can give a moment to think about these things, a moment to think about what could Advent be for you this year? How might it be different? How might you need it to be different? What are the things that have gotten sifted out by your familiarity and indifference? And what might it look like to search for them in a new way this season? Eugene Peterson's quote reminds us that our faith can only really be encountered when we 
suspend our rationality and give ourselves to wonder. And while it might sound and even feel like it's giving up our footing on certainty, embracing this truth is when we can once again be tethered to that which is so much greater. Amen.